The views and opinions reflected in any of the stories narrated are solely those of the story contributor and are not necessarily that of the Nightmare Society. This podcast features adult content, so listener discretion is highly advised. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. Please see the resources in the show notes. One more episode-specific warning. The second story does mention dead animals in the context of hunting and or other predators, specifically wild animals. And our third story does briefly mention illegal substances, but that is just an aside and is not the whole focus of the story. Thank you. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. I've got a bit of a variety for you here tonight, so I hope you enjoy the stories. Of course, a big thanks to our contributors, Anonymous, User You're Deplorable, User Princess Vanna, User Substantial Cut 8426, and User Capt Cryout. Don't forget, Nightmare Society is available on most pod streamers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. So uh, make sure you check us out on your uh, favorite medium and be sure to follow or subscribe. And if you get a chance, head over to our YouTube. We would be very uh, grateful if you would give us a follow and a like over there as well. We're currently at uh, 937 followers, I believe. So uh, if you want to help us make it to 1,000, give us uh, a nice little Halloween present and head on over. So we appreciate it. As per usual, thanks so much to everyone over on Patreon who their donations so kindly help us keep the podcast free for everyone else. And last but not least, hello and happy very belated birthday to Emily, also known as Dobby. Thanks so much for listening. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. Three months ago, I shared my experience backpacking in the Allegheny National Forest and hearing drumming, which I could chalk up to people banging on the drums. But this weekend, we returned to the same trail system, Minister Creek. We set up camp at a different site, about three miles north of where we stayed the last time. The evening was uneventful and we went to bed in individual tents around 9.30. About 2.30 a.m. we were woken by a huge boom. It wasn't a gunshot. sounded more like a black powder cannon going off that echoed throughout the valley. We came out of our tents and discussed what we all heard, a little on edge since it was so close to us but eventually tried going back to sleep. 
The boom really has nothing to do with what happened later, but it was just a very weird night. As I'm laying in my tent, unable to sleep, staring at the ceiling, I kept seeing shadows on the tent walls. I would swear I'd see a silhouette of a person walking towards the tent, but as I would look at it, it would disappear as quickly as I noticed it. I decided I'm just seeing things and closed my eyes, eventually falling asleep. Next thing I know, I'm being woken up by a young-sounding female voice saying, Dad! Dad? Dad? I jolt awake, unsure. I actually just heard this. So I'm laying there. I check my watch, which says 5.13 a.m. Wide awake at this time. And about 30 seconds later, right next to my tent, I hear very urgently, Dad! There was something off about the voice, too. It was just creepy. I got major chills like nothing I've ever experienced. Now, A, my daughter did not come with us. And B, there were no females in our small group. It's pitch black out and I see no flashlights. No more light from the fire. I'm trying to rationalize what I'm hearing and sit up in my tent thinking maybe a camper from another site wandered onto our site, thinking she was at her dad's tent. I unzip my tent, shine my flashlight out, and catch a glimpse of a black bear walking off into the woods. I uncontrollably at that point let out a huge, Oh! Waking up the rest of my group. The bear didn't care and just walked off into the darkness. So of course, we are searching around with our flashlights and find nobody else around us. This whole experience was just crazy. What did I hear? Do black bears make noises that sound like a girl calling for her dad? Was it a ghost warning me there was a bear in our campsite? A guardian angel? Or did I have some sleep disorder-induced auditory hallucination that just so happened to perfectly coincide with a black bear roaming through our camp? Either way, both of my experiences overnight backpacking in the Allegheny National Forest have been extremely weird. This took place during my winter break, my freshman year of college, well over a decade now. My friend and I decided to head to the rifle range we had frequented previously during high school. It had been about 10 months since we were last there, in the northeast of the United States. The rifle range was outdoors, unmanned, and on the state game lands. You never knew who may be there. I had encountered some strange, possibly sinister kids there in the past. A fair amount of normal people too. We parked the truck and I immediately noticed skinned rabbits. Dozens of them. They were obscured at first because the grass, now dead in the winter, had grown so tall, falling over and cradling these neatly arranged rows of skinned small animals, probably rabbits or raccoons. It disturbed me how hard it was to tell what something is once its skin has been removed. 
It disturbed me that someone would lay the new carcasses right next to the old ones. Each neat pile was in a different state of decay. Despite our better judgment, my friend and I decided to enter the rifle range. I grabbed my two rifles, like plastic guitar cases. This will come into play later. The rifle range is a large bunker cut into a taller hill. It extends a thousand feet and the walls on the left are 40 to 80 feet tall. There's a question mark shaped path leading around the bunker to the gallery where you stand or sit to shoot. Approaching the trail, I notice a dead deer off to the left of the trail, then another off to the right, then another further down in the center of the trail, decomposing. A large hole in its abdomen filled with maggots. There's another that's all maggots aside from the bones. I've never seen anything like that before. My friend and I carry on, me in the front. Once we round the corner in the gallery area, there are two to three more dead deer, like a deflated deer balloon on the gravel. Almost nothing left of them, two-dimensional. This is when it really sets in how dilapidated the place has become. Everything is overgrown. Even looking downrange, the grass had nearly covered the whole area, up to two to three feet, except for a trail in the center leading towards the back of the bunker. Along this path, there is one dead deer every 50 feet or so off the side of the trail. The number of deer carcasses I've seen now is outrageous. Over 20 of them. It felt beyond belief. About 500 feet down range, there's a pack of dogs. Maybe 8 to 10. An almost ridiculous looking number. All circled around a deer, eating it. I'm standing right at the front of this path. I turn back and my friend is pale-faced at this horrifying sight. Like a complete idiot, I say, What the f-? Immediately, one dog's ears perk up. It picks up its head and looks right at me, like it's in slow motion. It lets out a quick bark. The whole circle of them in carousel lift their head one by one and lock their eyes on me. I glance back at my friend. He's already started running probably has a 20-foot lead. I look back downrange and see the dogs are already charging at me. They already look twice as close. I start running as hard as I possibly can with these two guitar cases holding two rifles in each. I can't full-on sprint holding these things. I'm debating dropping them to run faster. I round the corner out around the bunker entrance, look back, and see they're already in the gallery skidding on the gravel to the square corner. Eight to ten of the most mangy-looking hellhounds coming right at me. I'm hoofing it as hard as I can. It's now a roughly straight shot to my friend's pickup truck. I glance back quickly and they're only singular feet behind me. I am not going to outrun them. I think about dropping the cases. I glance again over my right shoulder and see something forever burned into my memory. A dog in mid-air, leaping at me, fangs out, hopelessly close to me now. I'm still full-on sprint, looking forward again, waiting to feel this thing's jaws sinking into my calf or thigh. Total temporal distortion. Time slowed down. I thought of how I just saw a show on the History Channel. An old man, World War II vet, had survived a mountain lion attack. 
He said that if a rabid dog attacks you, raise your forearm in front of your throat. They'll latch onto it and won't let go. I'm waiting for this to happen, getting knocked down. I envision when one gets onto my leg, rolling onto my back, throwing my arm up to catch one going for my throat, then being torn to pieces by the other seven. I realize this could be how it ends, astonished, being mauled to death. It felt like someone pushed me forward, giving me a burst of speed forward, then another, almost causing me to fall forward. Then I realized the dogs were smacking off the big guitar cases hanging at my sides, each time pushing me forward. This happened five to six times and then I was just crossing in front of the truck. I throw the gun cases on the hood, open the door and hop in. My friend is already in the driver's seat. And now the dogs are gone. I'm feeling like I just escaped a death from a horror movie. Expecting to hear some words of relief for my fate, my friend instead calls me an idiot for leaving the guns on the hood. I guess he wanted to shoot at them. I tell him to go to hell. I'm not getting out of this truck. I almost died right in front of him. Eventually he gets out, gets a rifle from the case on the hood, loads it, and climbs up on the side of the bunker. He says they're gone. I quickly scamper up, confirm, then insist we leave. On the way home, I see a local cop at the gas station. It's inside his municipality. I'm telling him about the range and what just happened, as briefly as possible, how it's a danger, etc. He seems to get more aggravated the longer I talk, so I stop. There's an awkward silence and he coldly says, Yeah, it's really bad out there. From his tone and body language I can tell this exchange is over. He goes back to the conversation with the cashier. I just turn around and leave without saying more. I still wonder what the hell I walked into. What if I had dropped those gun cases? Why was someone dumping their illegally skinned carcasses at a rifle range on state game land? What killed those deer? The place was fairly well maintained for two to three years, and we had been inside there the last year. Were they dogs? Wolves? Coyotes? Why was the cop so dismissive? The range is gone now. There's a natural gas oil well there. The point is... I survived, but there's something dark surrounding that place. I later learned a girl was murdered just outside the range two decades earlier. In the summer of 2020, my friends Alex and Violet and I decided to go on a mountain vacation. COVID cabin fever had hit us hard and we were desperate to get out. We settled on a mountain estate and planned to hike and camp at several different locations. For one night, we thought it would be fun to book a cabin in the woods. Violet's parents had rented a fire tower once and loved it but a cabin beside a fire tower was all we could find. It was cheap, clean, and secluded. Excited to have a night where we could be as obnoxious as we wanted, we booked it. 
in the weeks leading up to the trip, we decided it would be a great idea to drop acid at the cabin. Violet brought an entire sheet in preparation for our arrival, and it was tucked in her bag as we pulled out of the driveway to make our way to the cabin. I remember this knot in the pit of my stomach, this aching feeling that gnawed at me. I told Alex and Violet that there was no way we could drop acid that night. Violet was pissed. We turned around and got into a massive argument, but I stood my ground. I just knew that we had no business tripping that night. Finally, the fireworks settled and we were off. The cabin was roughly 30 minutes away from the nearest town. It sat on top of a mountain. We held our breath as we rounded the busted road that spiraled toward the top. There were no pull-offs, no other campsites, just a long, winding road that led us to the cabin at the peak. We settled in and started a fire to keep us warm. As dusk gave way to night, we heard the unmistakable noise of an engine on the road, then the flash of headlights. A side-by-side with three kids arrived and our nerves settled. They smiled, gave us a wave, climbed the fire tower, and left. We had heard there may be occasional visitors to the fire tower, but they were the only ones who had come by. We doused the fire and moved inside, heated some hot dogs until they were lukewarm, ate them fast, and sat in the silence. You don't know how quiet it is until you're in the middle of nowhere. You can hear every rustle of the leaves, the whisper of the wind through their branches. You get so used to the white noise living in the city. There's always the hum of an air conditioner or the dim roar of traffic to focus on. Here, the closest thing to white noise was the sound of our own breathing. We jumped at every noise, too frightened to speak to one another. And finally, I had had enough. I cracked a few wine coolers, passed them to Alex and Violet, and slapped a board game down on the table between our bunk beds. It didn't take long for us to loosen, and we were laughing having the raucous good time we had envisioned. Much soberer than we had thought, but enough that we were able to ignore the rumble of the woods. Later, we had all recall hearing noises in the background, the snap of a twig, the dim rumble of an engine. None of us wanted to rupture the air of nonchalance between us, so we ignored it. That is, until a human hand reached up to the window between us and slapped it three times. We were screaming in an instant. Alex called 911, put them on speakerphone, and handed his cell to me. He grabbed pokers from the fireplace and passed them out. Violet started calling family members and saying her last goodbyes. I held my breath and listened for any more noise. Whoever this was, whatever this was, would have heard us call 911, and now they were being careful to make a silent retreat. Dispatch arrived 20 minutes later, a lucky thing for a 1am emergency call, and they had their dogs comb the mountain. Nothing. They suggested it may have been a bear, but I could tell from their faces that they didn't believe that for a second. We had barely cooked those hot dogs, and why would a bear smack the window by a couple of screaming kids, rather than the one closest to the pan we used to cook? Why would a bear knock on the window like a human? Why, when we screamed, did the bear make a stealthy retreat? 
they had no answers. But they had one anecdote. As they had sped to us, they had come across a car at the base of the mountain, but that was the only sign of life they had seen. I remember my blood ran cold, but Violet and Alex were too frazzled to absorb the weight of what they had said, and dizzied by a new horror. Violet's car, thoroughly dusted by our drive up the mountain, was covered in handprints. Handprints that did not match ours, that touched places we had not. We grabbed our crap by the armful and threw it inside, eager to remove every part of ourselves from this mountain. We followed the police, grateful every pothole found us further and further from that wretched cabin. We made it down in record time and found lodging at a seedy motel that reeked of cat pee. I could not sleep. The thought of that car on the road rang in my head. Remember, there was nothing else on that mountain. It was a narrow road to the top. No pull-offs, no other campsites. There was the fire tower. Maybe a visitor decided to spook us during their late night excursion. But the kids from earlier, we had seen their headlights. Whoever did this had stopped their vehicle further down the road and hiked the rest of the way. They didn't want to be spotted. They wanted silence. Secrecy. Whoever this was had not been looking for a cheap scare. They planned this. I don't think I'll ever know what the person on the mountain wanted from me. I don't know if it was a practical joke or the beginning of a night of terror. I'm grateful for Alex's quick wit in calling 911. I wonder if our visitor knew we had service. It had certainly been a welcome surprise to us. Perhaps that was a wrench in his plan. Enough to spook him before he could make things ugly. In truth, I don't know if I want to know. I think I'm just content to say Midnight Stranger. Let's not meet. This happened many years ago, in the summer of 1987. I was 19, female, and my best friend was 18, also female. We were visiting her boyfriend at his house, which was situated in the middle of a wooded area, next to a really large field in a very rural tobacco growing area in the south. It was dark out, but you could see fairly well because the sky was clear and full of stars. She and I were sitting on the front porch with our feet resting on the steps. We were just talking and laughing when all of a sudden we saw a round, brightly lit object just above the trees, maybe 30 feet in front of us and 50 feet above us, hovering just above the treetops. It had red and white lights all around it, but it still wasn't bright enough that it gave off more than just a glow. The lights were flashing a lot and it just sat there, silently. No noise at all. It was like it was just sitting there watching us. We didn't feel afraid, mainly because we were so fascinated and curious as to what it could possibly be. We sat there, whispering back and forth, trying to figure out what it was for a good two to three minutes. 
when her boyfriend opened the door to come out and we turned and told him to hurry and come look at this. He reached out and flipped on the porch light and before he could even get out from under the covered porch to see it, it went straight up about 20-ish feet, then zipped out of sight diagonally. It disappeared in a matter of maybe three seconds. Her boyfriend and his brother had previously told us that they had been woken in the middle of the night a few years earlier by bright lights coming through their bedroom window that they thought were just police car lights. When they looked out the window, they saw a round, brightly lit object hovering above the field, through the trees, maybe 10 feet off the ground. Nobody believed them because they were kids. We even laughed it off until our encounter. Needless to say, he believed us even though he didn't see it. I've never seen anything like it again, though I've tried my whole life since. My husband believes me and we've spent many nights looking in the sky to see something like it again, but we still haven't. The funny thing is, now I've discovered the experiences of other people, I'm terrified to be outside at night. homeless for a couple of years and parked to sleep at a campsite up north of where I am. I pulled in, parked, fed the cats, and started to cook and relax. Flashlights appeared in my face, four of them all looking in the windows, so I assumed it was rangers asking me to move, since the campsite was technically closed. I rolled down my window a bit and asked what was up, and apparently it was a family of four also parked and camping. They had a fire going and a dog, so I figured things were okay here, but there was this really weird feeling. My boyfriend at the time decided to try and befriend them, and we got out to chat. They asked a lot of very pointed personal questions. Are you married? Do you live around here? Do you have any kids? But it actually was their two kids asking all the questions. They spoke like adults, which made me assume maybe trauma was a real part of their life. At some point, the kids put themselves to bed by basically going, Mom, Dad, we're going to bed. That really rubbed me the wrong way, but whatever. It all got a lot worse from here, though. They talked about their converted truck they live in. Apparently, the kids shared a bed and a key point they made was the van was soundproof. They apparently really wanted to play with our cats, but no such luck. The husband and wife, I only remember the dude said his name was Scooter, which really. Also the daughter's name was Olivia and son Skeeter, obviously fake names. They started to try and separate me and my boyfriend saying stuff like, Let's walk to the river. Let's go look at the car. They were really interested in hearing about any injuries we had, and at some point they started letting the fire go out and standing behind us a lot. That was enough. We left some stuff behind and got in the car, started it up, and just talked like what the hell. 
It took two minutes for the woman to walk up to the van and ask if we were leaving. We said no, obviously, and that we were just cold. She asked to sit in the seat behind us. I asked why. She didn't answer and asked if she could just sit with us or on my lap. And again, I asked why. She again did not answer. She said we can't leave her there because her husband beats her. And so I asked if she wanted to call the police. She didn't answer again. She pulled out a cigarette and lit it up, leaning against the door of our car. We looked at each other and I heard someone douse the fire. At that point, I say, Babe? Just out of so much nervousness, which is when I found out my boyfriend was suspicious from the beginning and didn't think to say anything until now only to add that if I had stayed and not followed him to the car, he would have just left me there. He was a waste of space, but before I could process it, I heard the husband grab something off the fire tool set. One thing I noticed was there was a large red axe. I just got tunnel vision and hit the gas. I felt this woman pounce off the side of my van as we pulled away, and just as we got on the road, an ambulance was behind us with its lights flashing. I wasn't stopping for it. You know how easy it is to buy emergency lights for any car on Amazon? No freaking thanks. The ambulance turned off to a dead-end road eventually after a while of demon driving into town. We never heard a siren. We looked it up and the aforementioned river was two and a half miles into the dense woods. Apparently, a lot of people go missing out there. I wonder who's to blame. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time. Sweet dreams.